Welcome to the Broken Pie Truck Podcast, episode 259, I think. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, CEO of Zega Financial, Jay Pestricelli. Jay, what's going on today? Hey, Derek, it's another week and it's another new high. I feel like at this point I should be keeping a tally with uh, little check marks on my board of every time I say that, but I'm a little bit of a broken record. This monster hit 5,000 and this market at 5,000, like a monster didn't even care. It's just like, sure, I'll go right through that. Wow. It barely stopped. I mean, we had like, eh, on Thursday and then like, that's it. Gapped up, threw it, you know, up another 26 points past that. This thing's on fire right now. By the way, this is the perfect way for me to jinx it is to say how wonderful it is. Right. Well, I mean, I thought you were going to say you're keeping a running tally of how many times I was right about market predictions. You know, uh, last week you said, I did. Eh, I'll say next week. And you were correct by one, you made it by a day, but it wasn't even close. You absolutely made it. So good job. I guessed March. <laughs> hey, I, all right. So maybe, hold on. Maybe this is the next question. Uh, here we go. Do we go to 51.25? That's 100 points higher. Or... 40, I'll make it really easy, 4,900 first, 5,125 mm. or four, so up 100 or down 130 from here. Which one happens first? The 5,150. 5,150. All yep. right. It's a Van, Van Halen, Halen album. album. Yeah, that's Van right. Halen. There we go. There we go. By the way, All just right. for the, for, uh, the uh, compliance aficionados out there, neither Jay nor I are making any any real predictions on this stuff doesn't impact uh, we, our investing. No, we, no, no. We buy, bad. we buy, we hedge with, you know, that's the whole bit, but uh, it's, it's good fodder. So are you taking the 49, the 4950? Yeah, totally taking the 49. Yeah. All right. This is, this is nuts right now, this market. Oh, it's not nuts. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Everyone always talks about how, well, you know, we're high and we can't go any higher. Jay, last week you talked about, a lot of times markets, when they make a new high, they make further new highs. I mean, who knows, right? In 2021, we made, 2022, we made an all-time high, and we certainly didn't make another one until two weeks ago. So, you know, go, go figure. But, you know, one of the things that people look at is the forward PE ratios. And I'm, can I say something contrarian? Is the oh, forward? please. I think the forward, it, can we make a case that the forward P.E. ratio is not garbage, but it's not, it's not, it's not really instructive. It doesn't really do anything. And here's, here's my case, Jay. All right. Let's I, hear it because you talk about P.E. ratios all the time. Well, I do. I do, certainly. But I talk about them in the relation of you can have an increase in the earnings estimate. You can have an increase in the multiple. And markets tend to go up when multiples rise. But you know, I, I take took a look and I superimposed, I didn't really have time to do this, Jay, but I superimposed the historical running forward PE ratio. So put that in context, in January of 2020, it meant what's the earnings estimates for the next four quarters starting in January of 2020, and then looking at the S&P price in 2020 and doing that, you know, S&P divided by the forward estimates. Right. And we look at this chart and you know, the audience can't see this, but I, it's basically like, is there any predictive value in the forward PE? And, you know, if we said, oh, every time it's above 20, you should sell. No, it actually, the market's 
tended to go up during there. It spends plenty of time above 20, no doubt. I mean, imagine if we said every time it's above 17 and a half or 16 and a half, you should sell. Historically, markets go up over time. Like I, I look at this and I just sort of wonder, besides the really high spikes, and I would say maybe as you start to get above 25 forward PE, the probability of a pullback, it doesn't have to be a big pullback, does start to go up. But I, I'm kind of starting to think this is useless. So we're at what right now? We're roughly, so 234 is the forward estimate, I believe. So what do we close today? 5,015, right? 5,026. Oh, okay. Yeah, divided by, what did I say, 243? 236. 5,025 divided by, 5,025 divided by 236, right? I always said. Yep, that's what you said. All right, 21.3. All right. Okay, so we're not at that 25 level. Now do 5150, which again, why can't this be love was on that, dreams was on that, best of both worlds was on that. Great songs. 5150 now, Derek, uh, divided by the earnings. Yep. 234.56, the official one. That's 21.95. So call it 22. Close enough You're for still not one. even, yeah, still got a ways to go to your to your to your 25 line. All right. Maybe you get 5150 before 4900. I mean, I'm just saying, if if I didn't tell you what this was and I said, hey, there's a lot of correlations here, right? You'd say, I don't really know. It's just, it's contrarian to say, but I I don't know, Jay. It, it there just, are times the market is going up while those are dropping too, right? So, you know, you look what happened last year. Uh, sorry, I keep saying last year. You look what happened in 2022 as it was falling, you know, 2021, it was falling off a cliff. Market kept going up and then 2022 when the market dropped, it had also dropped, but then it started reversing. I don't know, Derek. I It's something that fundamental analysts will use as kind of their barometer as to the, hey, is this market cheap or expensive? That's why it matters. Uh, you're, that is, you're, bucking the, you're bucking the system with that one, my friend. I'm not saying I agree either. It seems a little, you know, sometimes... You get some momentum going. And look, earnings could then close that gap. And it turns out like, oh, we only had an 18 PE the whole time because earnings were off the chart. Like there's a lot of ways that this doesn't play out the way the forward PE projects. Well, so, I'll, yeah, I'll give you an example. I went back. I don't have it in front of me, but I went back and I looked at a company like Amazon or Apple. And I looked at what their, you know, 20 years ago, they were trading at 80 PEs or 100 PEs, whatever it is, I forget. And it was kind of like, if if you knew what the earnings were going to be in 20 years, like how many times forward 20-year earnings, actuals, was it actually trading? I think a lot of them were trading at less than one times forward, meaning the earnings grew into the multiple. And I think that's kind of the point you were making there. But yeah, I mean, now when we say where do returns come from, absolutely you have to take a look. And if I said from point A to point B, how would I explain the returns? Well, you could have a dividend. You could have an increase in the multiple, decrease in the multiple. You can have an increase in earnings per share. And all of those calculated will tell you where returns come from. And often it's an expansion of the multiple. So I guess to take the other side, if multiples are really high, how much more expansion can there be? Sure, there could be a little headwind there, but I don't know, Jay. That's what I'm sticking to. Okay. 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 Well, 
now that we've disbanded that, by the way, the the forward earnings estimates, I think I gave it away, 234.56 uh, is the forward next four quarters consensus analyst estimate, 263, almost 264 for the you know two-year, so yeah, forward two-year estimate and forward three-year, like anybody knows <laughs> you know, whether those are actually going to come in the four two year, right? Yeah, like 290.64. That's per share. So, you know, do the math on those at your own leisure. I mean, it's, I, it's, but it is pretty substantial, right? Like over two years, it has earnings growing by 25%, right? Going from 234 to 290. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, that's a pretty decent improvement, right? That's pretty decent imp- increase that they're, uh, that they're projecting. So, well, speaking of going up, uh, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs is that? Can I can I quote that? Uh, Cocoa Futures, Jay, and I know, I know you follow the Cocoa Futures market every day, every minute of every day. But I don't know if you're aware of this. They were over fifty five hundred, fifty five thirty five. They hit yesterday per I mean, metric that, ton. That chart looks like you know Dutch tulips in the seventeen hundreds. It's I nuts. Mean, it's it reminds me of rough rice in 19 or 2008 2009 it reminds me of so for anyone who's not following the cocoa market jay and i know you're an active reader of confectionery news uh, you know you're a confectioner if you're a consumer of confectionery something i'll tell you yeah, that much yeah confectioners or chocolate makers i think is the official lingo i know you have a subscription to confectionery today confectionery tomorrow and all the other publications i actually don't know if those are real ones but apparently there was a fungus uh, that has affected some of the cocoa crops and uh, some inclement weather. I don't know if it was too much rain, too little rain, regardless. They didn't get the right amount. And so the output is down. And with commodities, supply and demand. Jay, I'm sure you see this in Florida. If there's a freeze in the orange crops, it takes away supply and prices go up. So it's uh, this is kind of a classic commodity story. Too much demand. Do you know we don't really grow or- that many oranges in Florida anymore? They just stopped. It's not like Trading Places, the Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd movie, where it's about the uh, frozen concentrated orange prices. Really? They really don't trade much anymore because the trees get wrecked, right? The, the weather is a little too brutal. It's all California. There's some, but like you drive through the middle, it's more sugarcane, just in case you want to. What about mangoes? I had mango juice last time I was there. Oh, it was super good. Mango trees all over my neighborhood. They're amazing. Yeah. I like, I, I got to tell you, mango juice, it's underrated. Underrated. I'm giving I'm giving a strong recommendation on strong mango recommendation juice. on mango juice. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I, well, I had it last time I was there. They they said, "Do you want orange juice?" And I thought, "Well, yeah, that's from Florida." No, no. They said mango juice is what you want. I said, "Sure, let's do it." So there you go. But the you know we talked a couple of weeks ago, Jay, about how once inflation happens and once there's a new floor in prices, they never really sort of go down. What's really interesting, though, about commodity markets is how efficient they are in pricing. And what I mean is, when you have an actively traded, when you have a, a traded market, the, it's really efficient at getting prices actually back down. It's one of the few places you see that prices don't go up and, and establish a new floor. That's why we look at lumber prices. Lumber prices went all the way up, came back down to where they were prior to the the, uh, the lockdowns and, and everything. So, you know, I look, I don't know if you want to trade cocoa futures. Good luck. By the way, uh, it's you know, contract is equal to 10 metric tons. So put your head around that. How many cocoa beans that fits into your house. But that is a, that is a lot. You know, that's a lot of uh, 
that's a crazy amount of of cocoa beans like you said cocoa for cocoa puffs by the way speaking of uh cocoa did you know that the album 5150 was named after the late great eddie van halen's home studio which in turn was named after the law enforcement term for a mentally disturbed person so if you reference section 5150 it's about a mentally disturbed person according to the california code and Eddie Van Halen named his studio after that. I did not know that. I had to look it up. I can't take credit for it. So I'll give credit to uh, Google search for telling me that information. But thought I'd add that in. Another I'll go term. one step further. Do you know that David Lee Roth actually worked as an EMT while he was in Van Halen in New York City? And they used to get the 5150 calls. I don't know if that's... Now, he wasn't in the band when 5150 came out, but I don't no, know if he... right, because that was Sammy Hagar year. Yeah, I don't know if that was part of the, the naming convention. Maybe he named that's They named the studio after that. Interesting. No, send, a, send us emails. We'd, we'd love to hear... Uh, More talk about Van Halen. Maybe this should be a Van Halen podcast, my favorite band. All right, uh, let's go to... Where do we want to go next? Uh, by the way, Coco... Um, you, you you realize, Jay, if you didn't show up today, I had an hour's worth of material on the Cocoa Futures markets. You're all welcome for me being here. <laughs> Everybody's welcome if you didn't have to go through an hour of Cocoa beans. But I, I will just forget about Cocos or, or anything else. Commodities are really interesting because sometimes if there is – if prices get too low, what happens? Well, people say, well, you know what? I'm not going to grow X, Y, or Z anymore. I'm going to grow something else. And and depending upon the plan, you know, coffee is a good example. It takes a little time to grow some coffee trees, but Brazil is an emerging cocoa producer right now. It's uh, East Asia, and then you have the uh, West African coast is uh, some of those markets. But commodities are interesting because it is that supply and demand, and you got to figure out if you have multiple uses for your land, and one thing is giving you a higher price, sometimes you take away the other. And the cure for high prices is high prices, the clove for cure for low prices is low prices because people get out and people get in when they're high and it kind of pushes the market back to equilibrium. Thus endeth, endeth the lesson of Thank economics. You, Professor. There you Thank go. You. Let's talk about the election. Everyone seems to be talking about that, Jay. Uh, I went back and I ran all of the, uh, out. yeah, all the, the election year S and P 500, charts and you were looking at that first time you're looking at it and basically what i did was i said look at the chart for let's say 2000 or 96 2004 08 12 16 and 20 and just kind of trace the trajectory over the years uh, interestingly enough i mean really 2008 which was down you know that was a great financial crisis minus 38 i don't think that had anything to do with the election that was already in motion you had 2000 which was the tech.com era crash. I don't think anything to do with the election, minus about nine. Every other year was up. And Jay, it looks like so far we're tracing this year similar to 12 and similar to 04. I guess the point is, you know, a lot of people worried about election years, but there, there's nothing in the data that says that election years are bad, Jay. No. And, you know, we've talked about it before that on average, 70% of the time, the market is up during an election year. Um, this is an interesting overlay that you put together where it shows the performance of the market during each one of the election years. I also heard something on Bloomberg this morning, and gosh, I wish I, I should have wrote it down to give him credit, uh, that said, uh, he said that since 1950, every election year, like we're in right now, 
when an incumbent is running, the market has been up. So everyone since 1950. So that's what, 74 years. Of, I mean, that's what, 16? I didn't do the math real quick on that. How many of those, uh, you know, how many times have we had that? I guess that's easy for, I don't know exactly the. the well, I'll but, do that for next week. That'll yeah, so maybe one. like 16 to 18 times we've had mm -hmm. that. So anyway, interesting. I think that's consistent with what you're showing here. And the, the part that I found interesting is I'm looking here, how this year has started as we're pressing to this all-time high, which I mentioned. Um, yeah, it's matching the years that have done fairly well, right? It's It looks like it's starting out. That, that, who knows, right? We're so early. But 2012, which was up low double digits, right? 11, 12%. We're matching that trajectory out of the gate. Uh, what's the red one? 2004, that was up 9%. So yeah, markets can uh, markets can do well. Interesting. The best year on this chart was 2016. Is that the best one that I'm looking at, or is that the 20, or is that 96? Which is the one that's up 19 percent? The blues that's, are too close. I think that's 96. Which... 96. So 19. So you know, there's last year was better than you know all of these years that you have here, but you know, so it's so I got you. Don't so maybe not so much to be afraid. Of, uh, of an election year, the volatility market would tell you you don't have a whole heck of a lot to be afraid of. That's for sure, with the VIX being where it is, you know, just under 13 again with a 12 handle. Yeah. And by the way, uh, we'll probably do more on this, but I went back and I looked. Uh, I will go through all this. But, you know, if you think about if, if you're a Democrat and you say if all Republicans you know take the presidency of the Senate and the House, and if you're a Republican, you say, well, if the Democrats take the presidency of the Senate and, and the House, that, that can't be good, right? Well, it's actually 50% of the time going back 101 years, one party or the other has had all three. And triple R's, the average return is about plus 16%. It happened 15 times in 101 years. And uh, plus 13% for Dems, all three sweep, uh, happened 36% of the time. So, you know, I, I don't know. If, it's a, it doesn't seem like it matters. We, we continue to say it doesn't seem like it matters. It matters when it matters, right? Just like everything else. But it, does, it doesn't really <laughs> it matters matter. when you have the great financial crisis in the middle of your campaign, right? Yep. By the way, George W., poor George W. takes over at like the worst time. The end of the, the dot-com era, 9-11, the great financial crisis. Like he hit the trifecta there. He really did. It's tough. When tough I run job. For, yeah, when I run for president, Jay, I want to take over after a very long um, downturn in markets. So uh, I get, you'll, I get you'll time your campaign with a market correction. I got gotcha. you. That's and right. Then what you'll you'll uh, you'll you'll implement a lot of uh, maybe the the. I don't have to do anything. Markets just take care of themselves, but I get to take credit. I yep. figure the cocoa industry. You do a new focus on that. Well, I have some big ideas for that industry, but well, think about it though. Usually, if you're an incumbent, if there's an election and there's a recession, you get kicked out of office. You don't you don't get reelected. So the next guy comes in or, or woman comes in and. They get to inherit the bad economy, but you know it sort of fixes itself like it normally does after after a while, and you get to reap the the benefits. You get reelected, and then by the time you're done, maybe things are you know topping out. But the next person comes in, and then they get the bad stuff again. And then they get you know that's just how it goes. So Jay, my advice to you is 
and all political uh, aspirational candidates out there uh, do take over after long recessions. And you get credit for everything, but you don't have to do anything, really. I mean, does Congress really do anything these days? Well, and the market likes that, right? The, the lack of change is a positive for the market generally. Seems like- I'm not the, saying that's good for the country, the, but generally the market's like gridlock. Well, some, some people would argue the less, do less government, you know, usually sure. go to Lots the DMV, see, see how that's run. Okay, Jay, so let's get back on track. Uh, Magnificent Six? Stop. Yeah. I mean, throw, is it time? You're going to throw somebody out? Who are you throwing out of the seven? Well, it's not NVIDIA these days. It's not. No, a monster. You're pulling everything up. Yes, another well, month. I took a look. This is as of January, let's see, as of January 30th, 2023. This was a chart on Bloomberg TV. I was able to pull it. The Magnificent Seven total return was 94%. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Tesla has only been up 13.74% since January 30th of 2023. I don't know why they- Why, why January 30th? I know. Short crime. Short crime, well, I mean, I guess it's about a year, but I guess that's why. Let's just say it's been about a year. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Look at what, but at one point it was outperforming it. It was keeping track. And then, yeah. Look, I, I, uh, I really try not to comment too much on Tesla. It's such a hot and cold stock, right? You're, so uh, you got the bears and the bulls. Never have the two been more enthusiastic for or against uh, a stock like this. So, what would the Magnificent Seven have been in the eighties? Would it have been Sears, Exxon, probably <laughs> Kodak? GE's got to be in there. Xerox. Right? Remember Xerox? I got to get a Xerox of this. You know, it wasn't a copy; it was a Xerox because those were all the machines. Uh, I don't know. You're old. So uh, am I. Yeah, we both are. Yeah. I remember Ditto. Remember Ditto sheets. You sure. know, you mimeographs. The yeah. Big barrel that you roll. When I when I first trade I ever placed Jay was on a paper it wasn't even paper it was the blue pink and white and it was the the three together and you had to you wrote the ticket out and you tore the top copy off I put it in a, a tube went into the wall and went down to the order room where they would call the floor and then you had to put your other copies somewhere else I forget where else I had to put them I think I had to keep one and then I had to put one somewhere else but you know that's, that's a process if you only had the blockchain back then. All right, I won't get you started on that. Oh, notice you, mean, you don't want to you don't want to talk about Bitcoin having you know another nice run with the rest. No, of the I I wait for it to, to turn down and then I'll bring right, it up. Then you'll I, bring it up. Like I cherry I cherry pick that for yep, sure. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, magnificent set. Remember when Netflix? You know, it was the Fangs, right? What was it Facebook? It was Apple, the NFang, Yeah, Netflix, yeah, Google. Which, by the way, it is also doing very well. Right? Good earnings. Netflix is rolling. Yeah. No, it's, it's. I had a client ask me today if this was 1999, right? They said this feels like tech heavy, and I said it is tech heavy. Just the difference is tech's making money now versus before. It was all speculation, not all, but a oh, lot. If you, would have, if you would have told me, I could have pulled out from our old podcast. We did. We did a podcast a couple of years ago. We did. We did, and yeah. we looked at the earnings of the top ten um, NDX. So we looked at the top ten companies weighted in the NDX. And we looked at their cash flows and we looked at their earnings and the forward P's. And then we looked at the ones at the time when we did it. And to your point, I, look, we don't know what these companies are going to do in price. Who knows? You know, good, good luck trying to, to figure that out. 
But what we found was, yeah, the, the companies today are definitely making more money than the companies back then. You know, back then it was, it was really imaginary in, in, a, in a lot of respects, you know, in 1999. So I don't know. I mean, do you all, we talked about the semiconductors too. The idea of quote unquote picks and shovels. Like back then you were buying Netscape and, you know, all these companies that, that had, yeah. it was, it was all trading networks, right? What was the yeah. one the sock puppet? Stop. That was, that was pets.com. Pets. That was com. different. That was not picks and shovels. That was, uh, that was an abandoned mine shaft in, in keeping with the analogy. Yeah. That was the, Hey, well, we're going to sell. Early. Look at Chewy these days. Chewy's doing great. We use Chewy. You have an animal. Use Chewy. No, you're, you're so right. So they, they were right, but they were probably 15, 20 years too early. So think about this. They had their warehouse somewhere in the Bay Area, I believe. They had to ship everything from there. They don't, you know, it's not the logistics aren't what they are now. And, you know, if they were selling now, they would just sell on Amazon or something. But back then they sold the two biggest items that people bought were what cat food, cat litter, dog food, cat food. And they sold those for below, I, I think it was a lost leader. I mean, it was a 50 pound bag of sand they were shipping out and essentially had to pay the shipping on it because they offer free shipping. So they lost money on those. And I guess they thought people would come back and buy like, I don't know, a diamond collar for their dog next time. I don't know. Chew toys. Good yeah. profit and chew toys. I don't anyway, know. Yeah. Well. All right. So we're going to, this today's episode, we're going to have a second segment uh, where we're actually going to bring on some, some Gen Zers and they may ask us some questions. I think we're going to dispel some, some myths. I think for, for money myths and things like that. Myths? Yeah, let's see how this goes. We're excited. All right. So we're, uh, we're going to, I guess, how do I close this out? I guess I closed it out. I guess close it out. And then, coming. and then, like a second later, all of a sudden you'll hear us again. All right. So here we go. All right, everyone. Welcome back to what we're calling part two of this week's episode 259. I'm your host, Eric Moore, my semi permanent co host, Jay Pestercelli, still here. I guess we didn't need to reintroduce ourselves, but we do need to reintroduce or introduce. Bobby and Xander, two college students, Gen Zers. And Jay, you and I have been talking a lot about this. And we said, hey, why don't we bring on some Gen Zers because they're kind of in the news. And you and I may agree with some of their thinking on investing and we might disagree with others, but they might have questions for us too. So, well, and I, Yeah. And I always thought, Derek, it's so great to see the interest in the markets, um, the financial markets with Gen Z. You know, when we looked at the millennials, they kind of like didn't trust the market for a long time, right? They went through, you know, they saw their families go through the Great Recession. And now we, we've we had, you know, mar financial markets are interesting again, right? You had the, the GameStop situation, you got crypto situation, you have all of these things that have kind of happened within the markets. And I just, I think it's really great to see that, you know, the young adults uh, out there are interested, probably like you and I were when we were in our, you know, late teens, right? It's just, I see some similarities there and I thought it'd be great to have, uh, have that perspective on the, uh, on the podcast. I, is this a, a, a ruse by UJ to get three people who like crypto against one? I, I see what, I see now the, the method behind your madness. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to flood our, uh, our podcast population with people that think exactly like I do. I, by the way, I doubt that's going to be the case. So, 
yeah, so this is great to have a, a couple. By the way, also, uh, you know, friends of Zega, both Bobby and Xander are. So, you know, folks we're familiar with. Yeah. So let, let me start here. So, Xander, let's start with you. Right now, I assume you're interested in the markets and you're currently investing. And by the way, you know, as, as the disclaimer, like what we do doesn't matter to the to all of you out there. But, you know, Xander, you're, you're investing, right? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, so yeah, so what what am I investing in? Um, I invest a lot in uh, the queues for kind of uh, safety. You know, that's kind of more of my long-term growth. Um, however, I do like to kind of play with Tesla a little bit and Apple, um, which, you know, they can be volatile, uh, Tesla a lot more than Apple is, in my opinion. But um, yeah, but what I really like to do is I'm really liking to play with options. And um, I have a few questions for you guys with options. Well, why don't we just start there? A- ask your question. For the uh, for the caller, so the guy who's being uh, bullish, is the goal to buy out of the money and then have it expire in the money? And then is that kind of the goal uh, for the bullish or what is the goal per se for that? Why don't I take a stab at that one, Derek, first? So, yeah, so when we talk about a collar, right, the collar is, for those of you that don't know, it's where you have, you're, you're long the stock and then you, call, we say collar it up, where you're buying a put below the market and selling a call above the market. Generally speaking, that call, uh, you like for it to pay for the cost of the put. That put is your protection, right? As the markets go down, puts go up, right? They have that inverse correlation. And so if the market goes down a lot, that put is going to provide you protection. And so the goal with the collar is you're still bullish. Like you still want the market to go up. You never really want to use your insurance, but it's nice to have the insurance. It's like what we do with hedging. It's really important. And so um, the thing that I would add to this, Xander, is you want the call to try to pay for the put. These days, that's very possible. When interest rates were lower, it was harder. So you want to pick your range uh, with volatile stocks like Tesla or, or even Apple, you could pick a fairly wide range. And, uh, you know, these days you can get a little farther out of the money on the call, which means you'll get a little more upside than you than you uh, would experience on the downside. So collars are bullish. Um, you buy them both. You know, the put is a buy out of the money. The call is a sell out of the money. I think that's what you're asking. Yes, yes, uh, pretty much. Um what I also wanted to get at here is, um, so when it comes down to the buyer and the seller, so the calls and the puts, um, I'm a, to my knowledge, um, I'm aware that basically the call has the right to honor the contract, but is not obligated to um, if they don't want to. And then the seller, the put is obligated to comply if the um, call wants to go on with that uh, contract. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because I want to ask why, why would, as a caller, you not want to go through with the contract if you're in like the winning position, you know, why would you not want to go through that? I mean, it's, so when you think about it too, just to, to clarify for the audience, sellers have obligations, buyers have rights. So if you buy a put or buy a call, you have the right to exercise that. As a seller, you are required to, to you're obligated to deliver stock or, or to do something else uh, with that. The reason why, though, I mean, most people, most options that are, that are purchased and, and sold are not actually allowed to be assigned or they are 
or, you know, people don't want necessarily to take a profit to actually exercise into shares. They buy or sell the contracts on the market. So a good example is let's say you buy a, a 50 strike option when the stock is at 50 and it goes to 100. We say, well, I can buy 100. I have the right to, to buy 100 shares at 50. But in fact, I'll probably just sell that contract if my goal is to realize a profit because there may be a little bit of time on the end of it. And just to go through the mechanics of getting shares, getting the shares, and then having the overnight risk of it having to sell it the next day. Just most of the time you're buying and selling it, you're, you're doing it at the market. And that's really why. Yeah, I would, I, I would, I think that's a good example, Derek, right? So like if you bought a call, right, and this, and the stock goes up 10 bucks and your call is worth 10 bucks also more, what, why bother put out all the money to buy the stock? Just take your $10 gain on the call, right? So most options end up getting traded, like you said, Derek, versus exercised, right? It's just, it's one of those things. And by the way, Xander, the, as the long holder of those options, you may even have a little extra time value in those options, right? So even though you may be 10 points in the money on a call, the option may be worth $11. So you sell it when you want to sell it and you say, look, I even made a little, I have a little juice, a little time value left in that option, right? So um, usually they get traded, uh, uh, you know, for those, those reasons. So, um, hey, let's, let's bounce over to Bobby for a second, right? Bobby, you, uh, you're also an investor. You also trade your own money, right? And uh, so tell us a little bit about your uh, about your investing process. Yeah, so I'm also really big into, you know, the SP 500, having like a, a foundation of my portfolio. It's in, it goes into that, the Qs as well, and uh, VOO. Um, and I also really love um, dividend growth stocks. Um, I, just, I got a really big interest into those. But... Um, I do have a question though about um, what is there to say about the SPF 500 um, with its first day above 5,000? And also, do you think like the stock market has hit its peak and it's at the end of its bull run? Ah, the first segment, Derek. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to stick with the first. So earlier, Derek and I were talking about this. You're right. Today is the first day it closed above 5,000. Derek and I uh, have a little kind of side wager of whether it will go to 5150 or 4900 first. So 125 point difference. I took the 4900 before 5150. Uh, Derek took the other side of that. So look, I think we're probably both in the bull camp, right? We talk a lot about markets generally go up, Bobby. There's, you know, there's not a lot of fear in the market right now when you look at, you know, the, uh, you know, whatever indicators it's going to be, whether you look at, uh, you know, the bond market with spreads or you look at the volatility market with the VIX being low. All of those things are kind of giving you, uh, you know, a sense that there's not a lot of fear in the market. And there's two emotions that drive the market, fear and greed. And if there's not a lot of fear, there's probably more greed. So, look, who knows what's going to happen? Derek thinks it goes up before it goes down. I think it goes down before it goes up. But I think we're both in the camp of markets generally generally go higher. So do I think this is the high? You know, like this is the question, right? Do you buy today, right? So you see the momentum, Bobby, right? And actually, if you're looking at, you know, the S&P 500, which you just said that you do, you know, it's had a really strong run off that bottom in, uh, at the end of October, right? Market's up 900 points. You know, the S&P 500's up 900 points. It's 900 divided by what we have, 41.27. So it's a 21% gain in just really three months. 
That seems like a lot. But if you thought, wait, I'm going to stop buying when it hit, you know, the first 10%, you would have missed out on the next 20, right? So it's, or the next 10. So it's hard to know, you know, when to time that, you know, is it high, is it low? We usually stay away from that. I will tell you too, I mean, one, one of the things, and you guys are both very young, this is a good example of where, and, and your question was not a dumb question. It was a good question. I'm going to, I like to play contrarian a little bit here. Does it really matter though, given, you know, both of your ages? And this is why when I look at TikTok videos, I don't watch TikTok actually, but I'm using it as an example. Like if you're, there's a lot of people posting videos about how to get rich in investing or YouTube videos saying, oh, I wouldn't buy the market right here. Like if you have a 30, 40, 50 year time horizon, whatever it is, 20 year time horizon, 10 year, you know, investing is the opposite of playing blackjack at a casino. The longer you play blackjack, the the higher the probability is that you'll run out of money. It's the opposite in markets. And so it's just one of those things. Sometimes it's it's do nothing. And trying to pick tops and bottoms in market, it's like it's not constructive over the long term, especially for younger investors. What's key for younger investors is being invested, but also trying to figure out how can you get more money into your investment accounts? Because the sooner you get money into investment accounts, the more time that it has to compound. That's really the name of the game right now. Bobby, it's not to say your question's a bad question. And Jay, but I think you would agree. I, I want to ask if Bobby, I want to ask if Bobby thinks that's a boring answer, like just buy and don't do anything. I mean, honestly, I don't think it's boring. It's just like, I don't know for me, because just because I'm young into the market, I feel like you know, it could be scary. Like, you know, let's say I buy now, obviously it's hard to time the market, but like if I buy high, you know, and it goes down just like it did in October or, you know, whenever it went down last year and like, you know, I'm just sitting there. Right. And I'm just like, man, like all my money's in the, in the market. And I'm just like sitting there all went down and I don't have like a, you know, a crazy income coming in just because, you know, I'm high school going to college, you know, but no, I understand what you're saying though. It's definitely good to buy because I have such a, you know, a long time for it to just keep compounding and growing. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with Derek. Um I think, you know, we're we're so young like we have so much money we can lose, but honestly that lost money is more of information that we've learned. So that's kind of how I've been looking at it and uh I'm just going to continue to keep buying stuff and kind of just learn. By the way, I like how Xander, you had said, uh, you know, I, I buy the Qs, the NDX for safety, right? That's that's definitely a younger person's statement right there. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, given, given your time horizon, it's, you know, Jay, it's just interesting when we think about, I think a lot of times people come up to us and they say, hey, should I buy the market now or not? Um, or what should I buy? And I will tell you early on, I don't think it's, like you shouldn't buy fake Bitcoin, you know, uh, fake <laughs> crypto coins. But he's, right? He had to go there. All right. I mean, you shouldn't buy those. But like if you buy the S&P or you buy the NDX or you buy a collection of, you know, normal stocks, I'll say, it really doesn't matter because it's, it's all about like if you have $10,000 and then you can put another $10,000 into that account, you've just grown your wealth by 100%, irregardless. Later as you get more wealth, then the changes in the market start to impact the amount your wealth is growing. But anyway, let me let me switch to, Jay, we, we should switch to some more questions here. Yeah, 
All right, Bobby, you got another one besides is the market high? So I think we got that. Uh, I got a question about um, will NVIDIA ever stop going up? (laughs) (laughs) Ever? (laughs) I don't know. At at this rate, I don't know. (laughs) We yes, we. I mean, this is definitely a hot stock right now nvidia right it's it's grown i mean we talk i just mentioned how fast the stock market grew right from jan but you look at nvidia look from january you know second where it was 474 and it closed today it's 721 and i'm just looking at this chart i think this whole time in the you know in the past whatever that is uh it's probably almost 30 days it's traded there's only four red days on my chart so it absolutely has a ton of momentum. So we're going into earnings on this. It's, it's you know, any technical indicator would tell you that it's overbought, but a stock could stay in an overbought territory for a long, long time. One of the things I like, and I think Derek, you like it too, is the RSI, the relative strength indicator. I mean, the RSI right now on this is 82.83, Derek, right? That's so you can't go over 100. You can't go below zero on an RSI, the relative strength indicator. And, you know, it's an oscillator. That means it kind of goes up and down to kind of give you an idea if the, you know, the, the, the individual stock or the market is overbought or oversold. It is, it is definitely overbought. But, you know, NVIDIA has been overbought before. Um, it, uh, Derek, you remember back in, I think it was May, right? It had this monster gap up. And it was overbought going into that earnings. And then it had a plus 30%, I think, in one day. It was some, we talked about that last week, right? Third most, uh, third largest market cap in a single day. So, you know, look, there's a lot of things to look at. This it's the same question, Bobby. Like if you said, ooh, NVIDIA hit 500, let me get out. That's a great run. I had a good run on this thing. You would have missed from 500 to 700. You know, like momentum, you know, you, you the trend is your friend. That's a term that technical analysis folks may use. And that has definitely been the case, but beware of earnings. Uh, You know, we trade NVIDIA in some of our portfolios now, and I think we're all going, wow, this thing's hot. It's moving very, very quickly. Derek, anything you want to add on NVIDIA? I mean, if you, this goes to sizing too. And by the way, if you own the NDX, if you own the Qs, you already own some of NVIDIA. But if, if you were looking at the stock today and you knew nothing else, I would tell you, if you buy it, you could be up 70% a year. You could be down 70% a year. And I'll let you know in a year. How's that? It looks like cocoa futures. It does. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, we talked about it's picks and sh- I don't want to spend the, you know, a lot of time on NVIDIA, but it's, you know, we, we've seen this, we've seen this story before, Jay, whether it's the, the uh, telephonist uh, name the country in, in 90, in the 90s, whether we talked about the tech boom. Whether we talked about anything, you, they go on these runs and they'll keep running. And at some point they'll stop running. But, you know, the analysts haven't quite figured out how their revenues are going to grow, how their earnings are going to grow, given this AI boom. So it's uh, it's an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it definitely is. But I'll give you an example. So they have earnings coming up, right? And so you look, what's the market projecting where it will be? And so I'm looking at kind of the options that expire right after that. And to buy NVIDIA right now to break even buying a call and a put, right? The upside downside, right? It's a 70 point move. So right now it's predicting 10, a possible 10% from move from here till after earnings, right? So like what Derek just said, you could be up, you could be down on this thing when earnings come around. 10% for NVIDIA is kind of low for what it can move 
during earnings. So it's one of those things. If you, uh, you know, you want to look at the options market to try to get an idea of what it's projecting the movement will be, not necessarily the direction. There is a bullish bias in the options market, by the way, meaning calls more costs more than puts. So the options market seems to give it a little lean to going higher and it's about a 10% move potential up or down. I'm going to switch gears and I want to ask Bobby and, and Xander. Xander, I'll start with you. But I'm curious uh, your thoughts on, you know, a lot of young investors talk about real estate, but I'm going to throw this first question to you guys and say, I wonder if you can tell me what the average after inflation return, meaning, you know, if inflation's 3% and something's up 10%, it's really only up 7% that year. But can you tell me from 1928 through 2022, because that's the data I have in front of me, how much, let's say, on average, real estate has grown per year? I'm curious to know what your answers would be. And then we can kind of get into it a little bit. Like the percent that they've grown? Yeah, per year. Think about the average return per year. Average return real per estate. year. Um, okay, I'm going to go with uh, real estate. I really like real estate. I think real estate's a great investment. Um, I'm going to go with 7%. All right. What do you think? Percentage like. Yeah, think about how much it grows every year. So on average, like what's the gain every year if you go back? So in other words, if you're up 100% over 10 years, the average would be plus 7.2% to give you an example about. So yeah, I'm going to say um, it's like even higher than that, just because I know like the cost of living, everything is way higher now. Uh, I'm going to say like 10.5%. Okay, so 10.5%. What was your answer? The other, the other answer? Uh, I think I said 7 Ten and a half from seven. So the real return, meaning after in, you discount for inflation, nineteen twenty-eight through, it's about two percent. Wow, annual. Well, I was thinking of something. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Honestly, I was going low with seven. I was like seven. Uh, no, that's pretty low. I'll maybe I'll let him surprise me with it being higher. Wow. Okay. I did not know yeah, and, and just the average returns. This is just the average, you know. It's it's more like four and a half percent. Um, I, you know, it's not updated with twenty three yet, but yeah, it's so it's there, one of the one of those things. Yeah. So guys, just for clarif- for clarification, that means like you've got a two and a half percent of inflation. So when it's up four and a half, but the real number's two, you had two and a half percent inflation. So the value itself just went up two percent, right, Derek? Just to kind of isolate those pieces. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things, so that's why I was, I was curious about bringing it up. Um, here, I'll ask you guys this question too, and then we can go back to real estate. What do you think the average return is after inflation for stocks? I would say like around 8%, 8 to 9. I'll say 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with 12. All right. It's, it's a little over 8. Uh, the, the simple average, non-inflation adjusted, is about 11.5% annual, annual return. So around eight, eight was a good number, Bobby. You got that right. So it's interesting to hear why you guys thought real estate was was a good investment. But and is it? It's probably what what do you observe that makes you think that? Just kind of watching how you know property increases off of just you know where I've lived in my life and where my friends live, and just by the value of um, the area they live. And I think I think really real estate is just uh, a lot more simpler to understand um in a lot of ways so i honestly i think it's just probably 
la- lacking the knowledge on the markets, I would say is probably what put me to go that direction. So when you guys say like the percent increase, you're talking about like like a house house's value, like how much it increases per year. That's right. Exactly right. And th- and what I'm giving you to, it's sort of an index. So when you think about an index, it's the the whole country and it's it's using, it's averaging many different metropolitan areas, but it's just looking at it over time. Honestly, I, I think the real reason people think real estate makes more, or like, is that the question if it makes more money? Or why, why do you, go, I mean, I, I think you had the thought that it, it was a higher return than it was and sort of what, you know, why do you guys think it? Definitely just because of uh, how everything's so expensive right now. Yeah. I mean, real estate's expensive right now. There's no doubt about it. A lot of that's driven by interest rates too, though, right? So, you know, it's interesting, Derek, think about that. If you're, if you were to get a mortgage right now, our mortgage rate's still about 8%, right? You're paying 8% for something that grows by 2%. Doesn't feel like a great deal right now with real estate, right? So harder to, you know, if you're going to borrow, and a lot of real estate investors do, right, to get to maximize their money. It's uh, real estate's a tough one these days, just these days. It'll probably return to normal, but I've seen data that says it's cheaper to rent than own for the first time. Actually, we've talked about it on the podcast, Eric, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's true. And it's not that real estate isn't a, is a bad investment. You do get a little bit of leverage in theory. Let's say you, you put down 20%. You're getting the, the appreciation on, on the whole amount, not just on the 20% that you put down. But you also have taxes. You have insurance. You're going to be making monthly payments. And so it's, it's also for savings. And I think one of the things that happens is a lot of people are in their houses for maybe a long time and it's the forced savings. They're making their payments. Their, their house has gone up with inflation or, or a little bit more. They're also increasing the, the equity because every bit of your payment goes towards equity. But it's just one of those things where I think not knowing anything else, you would say, well, yeah, real estate's the best, best option. But it's, it's sort of happenstance in a lot of instances and stocks actually over time do have a better annualized return. So um, now when you guys think of real estate, are you thinking buying and then renting it out and doing the whole, you know, what they do on the infomercials? Yeah, I was thinking uh, rental properties and like stuff like that. But um, also I want to add to that. A lot of kids or like a lot of people I know, um, honestly, they, they, they like say how they want to do real estate and like how they're interested in it and they want to do it in the future. But I guess they're not realizing that you know, if they just invest their money in the stock market, it could, you know, be a greater investment as well. It's different. I mean, Jay, like you could, you could buy a real estate investment trust and get the sort of exposure to realty. You don't get the leverage. And if you're renting, you know, you can't rent out your, your real estate investment trust fund, uh, and have somebody who sort of pay your costs. So it, it does work a little different, Jay. It is. It's a different dynamic. And I, I, you know, just in my time, I find most people are really either heavily weighted towards real estate or heavily, you know, weighted towards financial markets, right? They, they tend to lean one or the other. I think you and I are more on the, you know, markets versus real estate, but I bet maybe we should get somebody on one of these days, Derek, that wants to make the really strong case about how successful they've been with real estate. I do have somebody like that. You got a guy? I do. Yeah. I got a guy. I was, we always got people. Let me, let me ask you guys to something and should we, should we go? Well, why don't we go to your questions? Let's go to another round of questions, but then I, I want to bring it back to you guys too. So who went, who went first last time? Who, who's up next? 
Uh, Zanuck can take it. All right. Um, just a quick question, um, and you guys can go into this as much as you want or not. Um, but my question is, um, for options, um, is the strike price decided by the seller or is this decided by the Greeks? Depends on the, the so it's the stock or the index. So give me an example. Let's say a stock is trading at $100. You'd expect there to be a 100 strike. You'd expect there to be strikes around there and then so far up and so far down. But on, on your answer, on your question on the Greeks, if a stock based upon the, the, the pricing of the options is sort of foretelling that there's a higher probability of it going up to here and I'm using my hand or down to here, you'll have strikes that are further out. So you're right. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of the Greeks, a little bit where the price is. You know, Jay, if there's a, if the implied volatility is five, you're not going to see strikes 100 points away from the current price, but it's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, I mean, they put options out there that seem relevant for trading, right? And by the way, there are times where the market moves faster than they release new strikes, right? We've seen that too, Derek, where all of a sudden you're sitting there and there's strikes from, you know, $10 all the way up to 50 and the stock's trading at 48, right? They just haven't had a chance to put new strikes out there. So, you know, the options market, the option market makers will create those strikes based on where they think uh, buyers and sellers would be interested in trading. So there's a there's a little bit of supply and demand there, uh, Xander. And so while you're right, the Greeks are kind of a reflection of the volatility of the stock and the movements of the stock, but the the option strikes also come from the movement of the of the stock itself. So yeah, it's what it's interesting to watch, right? And you know, for the, you know, we we typically like to trade higher price strikes because you can get more fine tuned. Um, when I say higher strike price, I mean higher priced stocks because they there's more fine tuning between the strikes, right? Even a you know a, we talked about Nvidia being seven hundred dollars. If you're going you know five wide, five apart on the strikes, you can really fine tune your strategy. But if you're trading a seven, eight, nine dollar stock, the odds are the options are you know only one dollar apart or maybe even fifty cents apart. You don't. You don't get the right levels of you know what you want to do, whether it's protection or income or upside cap. So higher stocks, usually more strikes, usually easier to uh, fine-tune your strategy to what you're trying to achieve. Okay. And uh, really quick, just to bounce off that question with options. Um, so if the delta and gamma are intrinsic values and the theta and vega uh, are extrinsic value, why why do you why would you separate those values because isn't that still all the money you're putting in that's going to be affected by the Greeks? He said he asked about gamma. I'm going to not let you talk about gamma, Derek. I'm just we're not oh, going to go. No. There. No. Fine. <laughs> it's it's all the Greeks are basically when you think about an options price, that price is determined based upon the time to expiration and that deals with theta. It's based upon the expectation for how volatile something will, will be. That's implied volatility. And it, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's an amalgamation of, of all those things that factor into the price. So the Greeks are really, some of the Greeks help with or inform about option pricing. And some just tell us for every 1% move in the underlying stock, what will my options price change? So that's that's a, a quick way of sort of answering it. Yeah, I, I'll I'll hit the intrinsic extrinsic for a minute, right? Those are terms we use all the time when we trade, and the, the easy way to think about them is intrinsic is the amount an option is in the money, 
That's easy to remember, right? In the money, intrinsic. I mean, it's it's intrinsic value, right? If a stock is, if you have an option, a call option at six and a stock is trading at 10, intrinsically, it's worth $4, right? Because it's $4 in the money, the difference between 10 and six. But extrinsic is the extra value in the option price. And that is things like volatility and time, right? That's the extra amount in there when it's not, even when it's in the money, you sometimes get extra, right? So that option that I just mentioned, $6 strike while the stock is at 10, might still be trading at, you know, uh, uh, $5. And in that case, you have $1 extra over the intrinsic, and that is the extrinsic value. Think about it that way. And the drivers of that extrinsic are, like you mentioned, you know, Vega and Theta, the amount of time left and the how much the stock is expected to move. Those are the things that drive extrinsic value. So we used to just always, you know, back in the day, Derek, like people just called all that time value. But now you can be more, you know, refined and talk about imply volatility, and you Vega, that's what that is. And, and uh, you know, the other pieces that go in there. There are new Greeks too, but they don't even have Greek names, right? Charm, like those are, you know, other derivatives, which I, you know, if I wouldn't let you go into gamma, I don't think we're going to go into charm. Oh, I thought you opened the, you opened the door there. By the way, Vega's not a Greek technically, I don't think. There you go. We got to the bottom of that. So yeah, I guess the, the one thing I'll say with the Greeks is they, you know, it's, it's sort when you look at a, a number, you're looking at an option chart and you see a Greek value, whether it's delta, gamma, theta, it's always the next one or the next 1%. It's not, it's not sort of linear. So if you see a delta of X, you can't be like, oh, if the stock moves 10%, then my option will move the, the delta amount times. It doesn't work that way. It's always, think about it, always steps up and, and refreshes for every one point increment or 1% increment is a way to look at that. So. All right. Why don't you give Bobby the last, the last question? No, we, we get. I have some questions for them. But let Bobby ask ask the next question, and I got some questions. It's our podcast, Jay. We can keep going. All right. So this is like a question for you know me and Xander, and definitely like the younger population, the people who's watching this. Um, what do you guys think like the best strategy is like aggressive versus passive in the market? If you're like under the age of twenty five or thirty, you know, relatively young. I think, I think you already sort of mentioned it. I mean, own, own indexes and focus on, this is really boring guys, but if you own the index, I mean, it, the indexes are going to sort of buy the stuff that's has the most momentum and, and means the most at a, at a period in time. And, but buy them and really like, if I could give you the best advice, it's focus on increasing how much you put into your accounts and increase it, you know, like you should worry about how do I get a job that's going to pay me the most so that I can have a greater amount of funding for my investment accounts? And it's less important about what you put in. But yeah, I would just say, I mean, we, we tell most people, get a lot of time horizon, just, just buy an index. Yeah, but you could buy a more aggressive index, right? So it was almost like a trick question. NDX, yeah. I mean, they, they, for safety, right? Quote, unquote, they're <laughs> the buying safety, NDX, The cues right? for safety. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like that is, you could, there's also, you know, Bobby has active investing with, you know, lower volatile stuff like bonds, right? Like, so you're thinking, you know, active, passive, aggressive, conservative, right? You, those, I would say, you know, for somebody your age, these are good years for you to be aggressive because you have the time to, you know, when there are the inevitable dips, you have the time to make it up. 
And actually, you know, you guys should take advantage of the dips and that's when you're adding more money, right? You're getting to buy the market at a discount because as Derek said, you, you know, it's not going to matter in 50 years when you guys look back and you'll be like, wow, remember when the queues dropped from 420 to 400? You won't care when the queues are 40,000 right at that point, right? It won't matter. It's such a, it's such a great point. Like, and, and uh, by the way, I'm saying this with a smile on my face, but you both are students of the market. You like watching the market and you're kind of thinking, is the market too high? Like if you're a younger investor, you want the market to crash because you can buy more at cheaper amounts. Like you really don't want the market in a perfect world. The market would go down and it would stay flat for the next 30 years and then spike up after you've accumulated all these dollars into these funds. It's just a different way of looking at it. And I'll just say, like, you guys don't need us right now as in, you know, we're investment advisors, right? Registered investment advisory. You don't need us. You don't need us. You know, buy an index, buy, buy the NDX, buy the Qs, buy the SPY and add to it. Once you accumulate a lot of wealth, then yeah, then we, then we come in and we help protect it and still grow it. But as young investors, yeah, you're, you're, you're in a really good spot here. All right. There you go. So, so aggressive, but passive, Bobby's the answer. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep. The hardest thing for young investors to do is take the advice that, that I was and Jay, you know, we were just giving you because you're, you want to be involved in the market. So I'll take a page out of Jay's book, uh, buy and hedge. Great, great book to get. Uh, also, uh, Broken pie chart also available on Amazon. They do pair books. nicely. Yes, they're good. They really do. You guys um, should give them to your uh, your college friends. Yes, that's right. Yeah, as as a as a Gen Z, um, those are my two favorite investment books. There you go. Perfect endorsement. I'm going to put that on the on the cover. But Jay, in your book, you talked about the inner guru, and if you guys are interested in the markets and young investors, like take a little bit of money. Don't buy dumb stuff, but take it. You know, actively manage a small amount. It doesn't matter the amount of shares with no commissions these days. You can buy and build a portfolio with, you know, fractional shares at Schwab right now. Buy 10 stocks and, and play around. It just doesn't matter. So, Derek, you got any questions for us? I do. So, you know, you might have heard this from Jay. I'm the crypto skeptic, but Gen Z seems to love crypto. Where do you guys sit on crypto? Me personally, I don't understand crypto, but I think it's amazing. I think it's money being pin, uh, pulled out of thin air. That's how I would describe crypto. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know if that was an endorsement or not. I don't think it was, actually, uh, Derek. I think that's in your camp. Money out of thin air? I don't know. Comes from nowhere? Yeah. It feels like... Sounds like a document. I'm going to write my... That's a good title for a book, Bob. Money out of thin air? That down. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Me personally, I don't really like you know, know a lot about crypto, but I definitely think it's something I could definitely get into. And I do kind of enjoy, you know, people talking about Bitcoin and stuff like that. I mean, do people at, you know, at college, do they, and your friends, do they, are they trading crypto? Are they into crypto? Do they talk about it or is it, it's past now? You know, I, I would say, I think crypto really hit its prime a few years ago. I think it's kind of slowed down, but for people who, some of my friends who have a lot less knowledge than I do. That's kind of all they talk about. I think it, it's probably all they know. Um, so I think that's why Gen Z liked it so much. All right. No, that's fair enough. Well, both of you kind of express like you don't know what it is, but it seems exciting to trade. Yeah, it's very enticing. I'm, I'm shaking my head, Jay. <laughs> I know. I know what you're doing. <laughs> 
So where do, where do Gen Zers and people around your age, where do they get their, I mean, are they watching YouTube and watching somebody in their basement giving investment advice? Like where, you, where do you guys go to try and learn stuff or, or do you get sucked into the YouTube sphere, I guess? Me, I learn everything from YouTube and uh, also uh, following people on Twitter just like to, uh, to like catch up on whatever's going on, you know, in like the world today, like. But most of my knowledge is probably from YouTube. Yeah, I would say same thing. Most of my knowledge is from YouTube. Um, I, you know, there is investing videos on TikTok, but most of the time you can't really trust those guys. They're kind of trying to make money by pretending they know how to invest and they want you to buy their course. So it's just a scam. So look, pulling pulling money out of thin air. So I kind of uh, like to go the YouTube route a lot or just, you know, ask some of my friends who, have knowledge in the area. I, you know, just kind of hear different opinions. How do you know what's, what's real and what's fake on YouTube? You could definitely like, you know, you could find somebody to watch and like over time you kind of realize like they're just trying to give you the best advice, but on TikTok, you know, you're scrolling to the for you page. There's some, like some random financial guy. Most of the time in their bio, they'll have like a, you know, join my discord and like, you know, pay 10 bucks for my, um, you know, whatever my course and like, that's when you know it's just they're just doing it for the money. But there are some people out there that genuinely want to help and just teach you. Yeah, I think uh, a good example of that is uh, that uh, GameStop guy. That's kind of what he was trying to do, I guess, was just kind of put his information out there and see what happens. Uh, normally, though, what I do for YouTube, I just kind of look and see how many subscribers they have. And if they have like over a million and every video is getting over a million views, I I believe that's a pretty reliable source. Yeah. And also another big thing I do is when I watch a video, I always go to the YouTube comments and just, you know, see what other people are saying. Also, same thing with Twitter. Just go on Twitter, see what people are saying. Do most of your friends invest right now? Or are they as interested as you both are in, in the markets or? No, no. My friends are idiots who spend all their money on the wrong things. Yeah, same. Uh, a lot of my friends, you know, just spend all their money. Yeah, yeah. Gen Z actually is not very financially uh, set yet. A lot of people I know, like they all like are interested by it. Like, you know, they want to get into it. They say they want to get into it, but then nobody ends up actually like pulling the trigger and, you know, saving up money to, you know, put money into an account and actually start doing it and learn it. Hats off to you too for actually doing it, taking the steps, having investment accounts and, you know, making your investment decisions. Yeah, Absolutely. And by the way, it's it's not unlike you and I, Jay. I think I think my perception is more Gen Zers are investing or interested in markets than we were, just because of the information back then. You or I would have had to read it in the, the Wall Street Journal or watch Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser, right? That was the guy. I mean, and you remember uh, the Yahoo had the uh, the they were kind of like the first social media stuff, right? All the little the pink sheets that were trading and discussions on the uh, what do we call those? All those little uh, it's kind of like the equivalent of Reddit these days, right? You remember? Oh, the bulletin the boards. Bulletin boards. Thank you. Uh, I, I blanked there. Yeah. So it is. I think it's funny, guys. How like as soon as somebody wants to charge you, you don't trust them. But for free, you trust it, right? That that was interesting, right? Someone just wants to give you the education. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that bodes well for you and I, Derek, down the road because we don't give advice <laughs> for free. Uh, but that's it. That is interesting. But this kind of stuff we do. I was also surprised you guys didn't say you listen to wonderful podcasts like this Broken Pie Chart podcast for all your information. But we're going to get you there. That's why you're here. You're going to help us. 
the yeah, word out. You'll help us spread the word. There's uh, all right. So we're, we're kind of we could stay on for hours and talk about gamma, but Jay won't let me do that. So I will tell you guys. It, here's a little advice for for you and for the audience. And I didn't make this up. I wish I did. And it goes something like this. It's it's when you want to try and figure out what is real in sort of, you know, whether it's on YouTube or just you're reading stuff, pick a topic that you know a ton about, that you know really well, and go watch what people are writing about it. And you realize how little or how off some of the information is. Like if I look at an, an investing video that teaches people how to trade options, in two seconds I can figure out they don't know what they're talking about. But if you told if I watch the video about how to, I don't know, rebuild the engine in my car, I'd be like, oh, it seems like they're making a lot of sense. It could be totally the wrong thing. But, you know, that's that's an advice that somebody gave that I wish I came up with. But no, it's it's great you guys are are into investing. So um Jay, no, no gamma. All right, we'll hold off on the gamma. No gamma. Not at all. I don't, all right. I, I'd actually like to ask the recommendation question of these guys. Oh yeah, we we got to do recommendations. We didn't do that last segment. Yeah, let's. So each each uh, we I sort of took this from Barry Ritholtz when he he did a, a Masters of uh, Business podcast for Bloomberg, and he would ask like people at the end, you know, what are you reading or watching, and uh, so we we kind of started doing that. So do you have any recommendations for us, Bobby or, or Xander? Xander, anything you... Could be movies, could be shows, could be something you're reading. I think a uh, good recommendation, uh, I just watched it in my film class, uh, is Inglorious Bastards. Uh, great movie. Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. Um, he's coming up with his last film. So, you know, if you don't know who that is, you can watch it, see if you kind of like his style. Also, Pulp Fiction's a great one. Highly recommend that. I got a movie recommendation, you know. Might not agree with it, but... It's a rom-com. You've probably seen it, honestly. Uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Oh, all right. Matthew McConaughey, right? Is in that? Yep. Kate Hudson. Okay. Yep. Yep. But you guys went for older movies. That's uh, interesting. Like, I know. They're like, those are like our kind of movies, I think. They're good, though. Those are all good ones. With, I feel yeah. like they're you trying to play to the choir here, you know. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Matthew McConaughey, by the way, is a stealth really good public speaker. If you ever find some of the stuff where he either gave a graduation speech or he went, um, he uses a, a very good structure, kind of this three things structure where he, uh, he sort of anchors, he has these three things and he anchors back anyway. So he's, yeah, kind of interesting. He's also an amazing actor. How about that? You want to give him credit for that too? Maybe? Well, I mean, well, True Detective uh, is going to be, I started watching the latest one with Jodie Foster. It's more horror than than detective, but it's both. But if you don't like horror, I wouldn't watch this because there's some some stuff in there. But True Detective, the first one, McConaughey and, and Woody Harrelson was again some of the best TV I ever watched. It's phenomenal. So I I'd give it a shot, the the True Detective four. It's it's more horror though. I want to warn people. Okay. Well I'll give you my two cents on poor uh poor things last week. Woof, don't don't see that with your parents. It was not what I was expecting. Which movie? Saltburn? No, poor things. I did see that Saltburn movie also. Yeah, don't don't watch Saltburn with your parents, guys. Uh, don't recommend that. Okay, that was uh, I was it was on stream. It was I forgot which um, which streaming service it was on. Uh, Might have been Prime. I'm guessing Prime or Hulu. Yeah, but anyway, poor things. Same thing. Don't watch it, to folks. Just yeah, weird. 
I don't know. There's no ranking for weird. It was just weird. Very artsy. So you're, that's a sell recommendation on that one, huh? I didn't, listen, I don't know if you want. So I don't like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm glad I saw it. Won't see it again. All right. I mean, we give sell recommendation. We, we just don't watch. We give a don't watch recommendation sometimes. You know, like Ishtar would be a don't watch, right? For anyone who remembers that movie. You guys aren't going to know that one. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Bobby and Xander, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, asking your questions. And I don't know. I mean, this is sort of interesting just to hear, you know, what's going on with Gen Z. So I guess, Jay, we're kind of old now, comparative. So we're old Gen X, is Gen X and Gen Z. All right. Definitely again. Well, uh, next week, uh, markets maybe go up to 5150, maybe not. I don't know. We'll let you know next week. How's that, Jay? Sounds good. Thanks, Derek. All right. See you, everyone.